three, two, one, round the foot. Welcome back everybody. What if you could hang out with sprinters and ask them about their problems, their workflows, and their solutions? That's exactly what we do here at the Strategy Sprints podcast day after day. And today we explore with you how to transform your health, wealth, and relationships forever. Why identity, productivity, and anti-fragility will unlock your potential and the three alarms that you need. Welcome everybody, Eric Partaker. Thank you so much, excited to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely, I'm so excited about these three things that I just said. I want to explore this with you, but what are you currently creating? Oh my gosh, yeah, so many things. Um, I'm working on developing, or sorry, uh, bringing scale to a course that is linked to my book, The Three Alarms. So I've created a course called the Peak Performance Masters Program, which um, essentially helps people embed a lot of what we're gonna be talking about today and a lot of what's in my book, The Three Alarms, into their businesses and lives. So yeah, starting to, to, to bring scale to that and push it out in a bigger way. Super cool. And when you say peak performance, you look fit. What's your, what's your regimen? What makes you so fit? Well, at 6.30 a.m. every day, my first alarm goes off on my phone and it says World Fitness Champion to prompt that identity. That's me at my best on the health front. You know, I gave it a name and I want to remind myself of what best looks like for me on a daily basis. And that's the version of me that goes to the gym in the morning. That's also the version of me that when I'm in my workout routine, doesn't quit because it's not me working out. It's that identity working out. It's that world fitness champion working out. So that identity driven, um, you know, change is what powers me to stay fit. I love this. And it's on the identity level. It's not me. And do I want, do I really nope. eat enough? No, no, no. It's the world champion and the world champions don't quit. Exactly. You see that right there. So my son, drew me that. Um, my son, Leo, you can see his name there, Leo on the bottom. Um, yeah, so, so, so it's Captain America, yeah. And uh, so uh, I, got, uh, I got Leo a Captain America shield and it arrived um, a few weeks ago. And I take the shield out of the package, I give it to Leo. And something magical happened. And it's what really this identity-driven change is all about because I'm not trying to teach anybody anything new here. I'm actually just trying to get you to remember back to who you were as a child. When we were children, we could assume an identity and we immediately became that thing. So my point is when I gave that shield to Leo, I didn't need to sit Leo down and then say, now Leo, we're going to start your Captain America behavioral training course. <laughs> Leo is seven. He doesn't need any of that. He just needs the shield. And when I gave him the shield, he started bouncing around the room. And he's like, Papa, grab the Nerf gun. You know, you wanted to hear the little pings of the Nerf gun off the shield and everything. And um, that's what I, that's the power of identity-driven change. Rather than starting on the behavior side, right? So with regards to health, for example. So rather than start with what exercise, what exercises am I going to do? What's my diet? How am I going to manage all these various behaviors? No, 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 no. Decide what your Captain America equivalent is first just as you did as a child. Give that identity a name. For me, it's World Fitness Champion. If you're into swimming, 
Maybe you decide to become Michael Phelps. Uh, whoever your favorite sports star is, give, give it a name, your superhero self, and then cue that identity at the time of day that would most benefit from that champion version of you leading the charge rather than you kind of normal you, if you get what I mean. I love it. I, I will share something with you that maybe nobody knows. In my 20s, I hated sports. I was the opposite of a cool guy, of, a, of, an, of an athlete, the opposite. I was the guy reading books all alone, let me alone, I don't need this. Uh, and in my 30s, I realized, wait a moment, there is, some, <laughs> there is something in, in sports, but huh, how do I enter this thing? How do I make myself ready for this? And then a friend comes by and says, Simon, you have to do some triathlon with me. And so I jumped into it. I said, okay, I buy a bike. I go the first race with you. And then after the first, finishing the first smallest sprint triathlon, it's just one hour, everybody can do it. But my identity changed. Yes. I said to myself, I am a triathlete now. And since that day, 10 years ago, I have trained every day, whatever weather, because even if it rains, I say to myself, hey, I'm a triathlete. I don't yeah. care about the weather. I just do it. Yes. And your behavior follows your identity. Yes. Um, and so rather than trying to build yourself up to be, you know, that person, just, just act as if you already are that person. And this, this is something that... Um, you know, my, you know, my career, I've done a, a variety of things from consulting at McKinsey and Company. Um, I helped build up Skype before we sold it to eBay. We sold that for uh, $2.6 billion. Um, then I built a chain of Mexican restaurants. Um, and now I, I help um, uh, just over 30 founder CEOs scale, not just their businesses, but also themselves and preserve their health and well-being at the same time. And my impetus for doing all of this was that in the first half of my career, I wasn't balanced, you know, like this. It was like everything. I couldn't figure out how to scale the business, but without like some part of my health deteriorating or without being my best on the home front. And the whole three alarms concept is how your path to deepest fulfillment lies in operating at your fullest potential, not just on the work front, but also on the health and the home fronts. And that that is the three-legged stool to fulfillment. You know, without our health, we're nothing. Work, of, a cor of, of course, is deeply important to us. But if you're on your deathbed, and if somebody were to say, I'll give you five more minutes, there's not a single one of us that would say, thank God, I was so worried about going before I cleared my inbox. Right. <laughs> but we would say, thank God. Can I hug her or him one more time? Can I, you know, give some parting words of wisdom to somebody? So our relationships are so important. But often what we do when it comes to health and the home front, you know, later often becomes never. We don't get around to it, you know, soon enough. And it's just work, 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 work at all costs. So yeah, this is something I didn't get right for the first half of my career, but now that I prioritize and help others prioritize as well. That's powerful. So 6.30, first alarm goes off. What, what are your three alarms? So health, wealth, relationships. Those are the three domains. And when I say health, I mean both making the money and what you kind of invest the money in. 
So health, so 6.30 a.m., world fitness champion. 9 a.m., second alarm goes off for me, and it says world's best CEO. And that's to just prompt the question, well, if the world's best CEO is really starting the day right now and looking at all the things that needed to be done across you know, the course of the day, how would I show up with excellence in each and every one of those activities? You know, what, how will I walk into the room? How will I engage in people? Will I participate in that meeting passively versus actively? You know, how decisive, inspiring, reliable will I be? How bold do I need to be in the way that I show up uh, for both myself and for others? And so, again, by cueing that identity to power that part of the day, that allows me to bring intentionality and show up in a way that I just wouldn't otherwise. And then the last alarm for me is at the end of the day, 6.30 p.m., and it flashes up on my phone, world's best husband and father, to prompt the question, well, how would the world's best husband and father walk through that door right now? And in the absence of having that intentionality in the past, frankly, what my family got in the evening was the leftovers, right? They did not get me at my champion self. They got you know, me as my tired self, meaning that if the kids wanted to play or if my wife needed help with something, I may or may not be available for that. But... In either instance, that wouldn't be an example of, you know, world's best husband and father. So, again, by having something to aim for and giving it a name in each of these three critical domains and cueing that identity, reminding you, reminding yourself of, hey, you said this is what best looks like for you at the right time. It gives you a sanity check because you ask yourself, OK, is my behavior right now congruent with that? Or am I what I'm what I'm planning to do? Is that congruent with that? And sometimes, often, you really mess up. And that's great because that's part of the game, right? And when you mess up, you're like, oh man, that was not world's best husband. That was not world's best father, right? And the pain is good. And um, yeah, so those those are my three alarms and a, you know, a bit of a taster in terms of you know how they how they help me throughout the day. And I guess week after week, you you see it coming earlier. Uh, you will never be perfect, but you see the the triggers coming earlier. Oh, this is the trigger that could make me angry, and then I'm not the best father. So I see that coming now. I am prepared this time. Oh, let me let me let me breathe. Let me let me have. Hold, hold uh, on three seconds and then respond. I, I guess you have this kind of loops in there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's beautiful what you're saying there because you're talking about, you know, I, I reference this in the book. I call this uh, the art of the pause. Um, often there are things that trigger us throughout the course of the day, stim stimuli, and they produce a response, of course. And the things that trigger us, whether it's, you know, something on the health front, ooh, should I grab that donut? or something on the work front, something doesn't go to plan, or, you know, on the home front, it's time for bed, kids, and they're swinging like, you know, apes from the chandeliers. <laughs> you know, those things can trigger us. And often when we don't think about pausing, the trigger is refused to a response. There's no space. And our response is, well, it's just simply not the best version of, of us. You know, it's not how us, it's not how we at our best would respond. It's something less than that. And that's because there's no space between the stimulus and the response. But if you just focus universally, no matter what the trigger is, if you just focus on doing only one thing, which is just pause, 
so that you can create a tiny bit of space between the stimulus and the response. What you end up tapping into is your timeless wisdom, which will always be able to guide you no matter what. You'll always, in any, in any moment, you'll always be able to ask yourself, how would the best version of me respond versus something less? And you'll know what the appropriate response pattern is. At first, you forget to pause and whatever is triggering you still pisses you off and you still act, say, inappropriately or unnecessarily frustrated or say something you shouldn't have. Um, then you go through these stages and uh, then whatever the trigger event is happening and you know you should pause, but you still don't. But at least you had a tiny bit of awareness eventually you get to a point where as the trigger is happening or as you're saying you had anticipated in your mind either way as it's happening or through anticipation you smile to yourself because you're like i know how i'm going to respond right now and those old that old response pattern you start to smile at that as you would the antics of a small child you know like oh that's that's not me anymore <laughs> you know? I resonate with that. And we're getting we're getting a ton of feedback. Love you, says Trisha Amable. Uh, practice makes perfect. It change behavior. I always compete against Malik, and Malik is me. I thank you, Trisha. Um, I see a pattern that um, there are similar things that trigger me in similar situations, mostly with the people I love most. Mm. And um, it's my, my kids. Yeah. And uh, and so from time to time, I see, oh, 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 it's coming again. It's coming again. It's usually when I feel, I feel like I have to defend something. I feel like I am right, but I am right. And it's an energy that is here somewhere. And it, and I feel strong. And I, and I, it, the bodily. You see what my body is doing. It's I go yeah. upward with the chest. And then, and I feel strong and I feel like I have to defend some rules, some values, whatever. So um, when I see that coming now, I ask myself, hey, 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 uh, what's the dream here? Okay, I want my kids to have certain values and certain behaviors. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is it this your dream, their dream? What dream is this? Mm -hmm. How can you now respond in a way that the dream... Um, is in front and not my my emotion, my ego, whatever is there that wants to pump up right now. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm curious, how, how what have you found out? You have studied with BJ Fogg, Behavioral Lab. Uh, what's what's your experience with this? Well, what as I hear you talking there, it um it just it reminds me of another way of expressing you know intentionality. Um, you know, a dream, for example, is an intention, and that intention is um, of its has its greatest weight when it's set from the vantage point of our best selves. So, um, you know, I, I, I think your your point about dreams are incredibly powerful. What's also incredibly powerful is to, when it comes to goal setting, is to make your goal setting identity driven. So, don't ever set goals anymore yourself. Never do it again. Instead, enlist the support of your dream team. Enlist the support of these guardian angels. Enlist the support of you know, the identity that heads up the Department of Health, the Department of Labor, and the Department of Love. You know, and have these best versions of you. you know, World fitness champion, for example, for me, 
I have that version of me set goals. What can that version of me achieve in five years? World's best. I don't set goals in the world uh, on the work front. I kind of summon the world's best CEO, that identity, and I say, what could you achieve? Right? What are your dreams? And then similarly on the home front, it's not me, world's best husband and father, what are their dreams? What could they achieve? And you know, none of this is about you know, getting things perfect. It's like you screw up all the time still. Um, you teach what you most need, right? So, so you know, I, I really need this stuff. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have this like all dialed in perfectly. I really need it. And, um, but what's fascinating and what's so encouraging is that over time, your previous lows, they just become, you know, non-existent and, and your, your, your highs, you know, become higher than your previous highs and even, and, and your, and your, and your current lows become higher than your previous highs. But you're still having your your ups and the downs, but you're trending upwards. And it's all because you suddenly have a target to shoot for. You're giving it a name and you're, 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 you're checking in. Is my behavior congruent or not on these domains across, you know, these these three areas? Um, I'll give you like a recent thing that I've picked up with my son. Uh, I have two boys. So I'll talk about Leo again. So Leo is absolutely full of energy. Um, he's when he was a young boy, I used to call him half human, half hurricane. <laughs> so um, and that energy manifests in so many different ways. And one of the ways that it manifests, especially a lot, uh, a lot recently, is that when you ask Leo to change something that he's doing, he starts to really elevate his voice. No, 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 no. It's like, you know, d don't shut off the Xbox. Don't like, like he starts to go like boiling over. And I started to know that I started to realize that I was like mirroring his voice pattern and it was just making it worse. So no, you know, Leo, I don't want to come. Yeah, you have to come up. No, no. And so I've been inserting this pause from the vantage point of world's best husband and father. And in that situation, what it's kind of teaching me or showing me to do is just maintain ultra calmness. You know, so Leo, we need to come off uh, the Xbox now. No, 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 Leo, calm down, it's okay. We need to come off the Xbox now. I, it's, Leo, I understand, but we still need to come off the Xbox now. And I just keep calm, so zen the whole way through. And what's so fascinating, and especially in the last two weeks, after doing that maybe about four or five times, suddenly Leo says to his friend, um, uh, his cousin Taga, he's like, uh, uh, Taga, I have, to, I have to get off now. It's time for me to go to bed. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it's all because all these things coming together, right? How would the best version of me respond to that lesser version of my son in that moment, right? He's not behaving at his best. And am I pausing before I choose to respond so that I can ask that version of me, well, how do I respond right now? Ultra calm, stay calm, stay calm, no matter what, stay calm. Like, you know, complete smooth water, and um, it just helps in so many ways. No, that's not the only way, you know, like at, on, on the work front, I could realize that, um, ooh, I've never done this before. This feels a little bit scary. Um, I'll give you an example. So um, I have a mastermind that I'm launching. I have, I've not launched a mastermind before. I've done a lot of one-to-one -one coaching and then I have a, 
uh, you know, a course that I've mentioned earlier, the Peak Performance Masters program, but I've not done a mastermind before. And the moment that I realized I hadn't done it and I was starting to think about ways of delaying the start date, in that very same moment, I thought, okay, world's best CEO, what would they do? Boom, wrote the email, took me like 12 minutes. We're starting on such and such a date, sent. <laughs> and then I have a couple of weeks to figure it out, right? So that was kind of going the opposite. I wasn't being calm there, I was going bold because that's what that version of me was suggesting to do in that moment. Yeah, when, when is it? Do you want to promote it here? When the, the, the mastermind is just, I'm just doing the first one with a close up group of the, a small group of the people who participate in the first version of the Peak Performance Masters program. So, um, so it's only, you know, it's only a, a small group of six people, but um, the Peak Performance Masters program which is a five-week course that takes people much more deeply through all this evidence-based approaches to improvement, that is launching again in um, in the next six weeks. So, so yeah, very excited about that. Yeah. And I was thinking, I think I'm doing this right now. So in the morning I go running, 6.30, like you, I go running, but that is, is natural because it's years now. Yeah. Uh, but in the afternoon, I... I say to myself, and now you do half an hour weightlifting, something intense um, with with weights. And this is where I skip it, I skip it, I skip it, I skip it, I skip it. I always find something, an excuse. Unless I have my phone and I, I go on YouTube, I watch the CrossFit games, and then I put that phone somewhere, immediately something changes. Mm. Now, these CrossFit athletes, the strongest people on earth, they are doing it. They are not giving up. I see them sweating. Hey, I'm in. The next 25 minutes, I am I am doing it with them. And pay is welcome. And let's do it. And I don't quit. Yes. It's just this simple intervention. It makes a huge difference. And, and, and you're tapping into that identity-driven you know, power once again. Um, which is allowing you, um, which is another thing I talk about in the book, which is allowing you to become anti-fragile. And that's, you know, that's worth talking about as well. Um, I read the book, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb, and I thought, wow, fascinating. But the book, it took an effort to get through it. It's, it's quite dense and he's a, he's a very detailed writer. But the concept, amazing, right? Um, because we can prime ourselves to being our best identity-wise. But then what happens? Things don't go to plan. All the time, things don't go to plan. And so when things don't go to plan, you know, the question is, is asked, well, then how do you respond? And I like to, you know, if I connect that back to what you were doing in the gym. So what you were doing in the gym, so you got that spirit of identity, you know, within you that prompted you to run toward stress. Stress builds strength. We know this in the gym. We don't go to the gym and say, excuse me, can you please direct me to the most comfortable weights? Or um, can you show, I, I see those people sweating over there doing that circuit, but oof, can you show me a circuit that almost like where I could just watch a little bit of Netflix while I'm doing it? Because I, I don't want to stress myself too much. This is ludicrous. None of us do this, right? That'd be like the... The equivalent of a you know, personal trainer hands you a weight and you scream and pull your hair out and run out of the gym and people are like, what the hell is wrong with that person? 
So we don't do that. Why? Because we know that stress builds strength. We actually have to step into discomfort to become stronger. And this is one of the cornerstones for anti-fragility, whereby I kind of think of anti-fragility as imagine if you had a suit of armor and as you went through life with the suit of armor, every blow the armor took, the stronger it became. And people, when they hear that, they think, okay, you're talking superhero stuff again. But we are all anti-fragile. Our, our bodies are the perfect temple for anti-fragility. You stress a muscle, it causes it to grow. Expose the body to germs and bacteria. That's what builds the immune system. And the beautiful thing with anti-fragility is that if we can get what we're already all doing physically up in our heads mentally, whereby we reframe stress as something good, something that builds strength, then something magical happens. Because every challenge in the course of your day, moment of adversity, frustration, things that don't go your way, these are nothing more than a personal trainer following you around in life's training camp, each time handing you a weight, and you have a choice, step into the discomfort, become stronger as a result, complete the repetition, curl it, or run out of the gym screaming, which, <laughs> which would be completely odd. And um, it's so liberating when you start to embrace and look forward to stress in that way. So next time the I get angry, I could say, oh, welcome my patience dumbbell. Welcome my, my peacefulness uh, kettlebell. It's it, crazy. Beautiful. And that's precisely what I'm saying, because what it is, is that if, if your patience, if your anger runs high and therefore your patience mu muscle is weak, well, how do we strengthen the patient, patience muscle? Well, how do you strengthen a bicep? You have to stress it to strengthen it. How do we stress the patience muscle? We must stress it to strengthen it. So the power there is that suddenly you say to yourself, I can't wait until X, Y, and Z typical triggers that get me going through the roof happen today because each and one of those are going to be my moments to develop that patience muscle. Like I look forward to those moments because that's the only way I'll get stronger. And the opposite and the mistake would be to say, okay, there is stability and there is fragility. I go for stability. Instead, you say, no, no, go for anti-fragility. What be become something that under stress improves, flourishes. Yes, because we, I mean, you know, anybody, you know, listening right now, how many days in the course of a year truly go to plan for you? I mean... You get to the end of the day and you go, ha, everything, everything happened exactly as I had planned today. For me, that's like maybe five out of 365 days. So isn't it liberating? Isn't it empowering? Isn't it just mind blowing if suddenly the 360 out of 365 that didn't go to plan or were slightly off in some way were suddenly wanted, embraced, and were your source of strength rather than something that you're trying to avoid or minimize. To me, that's just a game changer, right? And that only happens when we do mentally what our bodies already know physically. Stress builds strength.
like a leather jacket is something that gets better under stress. Every year it gets better. Right? <laughs> Good old leather jacket. Are we like a leather jacket? Yeah, we're like a fine wine, a leather jacket, you know, all of that. Um, we definitely, we definitely get better. Uh, and, you know, this isn't, you know, science proves this. Um, there's an author, researcher by the name of Kelly McGonigal. She um, wrote a book called The Upside of Stress. And she talks about three groups of people. Um, first group lives a stress-free life. Second group experiences a high degree of stress, but views it positively. And the third group, high degree of stress, but views it negatively. The group that lives the longest is a second group. They actually outlive the group that has a high degree of stress, but views it positively outlives the stress-free group. The stress-free group is like the equivalent of, you know, an astronaut in space who isn't exercising as they need to their body every 15 to 20 minutes to fight the effects of, you know, no gravity. So they just, they atrophy. And, and that's what happens in the absence of stress. So... My, my, one of my boys asked me, Papa, Papa, when are you going to die? And I said, well, I will be 123 years old because uh, the current oldest person is 122 and I want to win. <laughs> and he said, and how, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, I will run every day. That's it. Every day running, whatever happens. Because, so the assumption, the bet is uh, a little bit of stress will keep me, will keep me going, will keep the system awake and um, refreshing and resilient and repairing. Now, how do we find the right level of distress, stress? Is every stress good? Uh, how, we, how do we balance it? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying that um, uh, you could stress yourself out, for example, by hanging off of uh, the end of a rope into the mouth of an open and active volcano. Um, and that probably wouldn't be a good idea. So, so I'm not saying every stress is good. But what I am saying is that the vast majority of things that we encounter on a daily basis that are just everyday things, that we go about it from a stress point of view in all the wrong ways, that we seek to kind of run away and minimize these things rather than embrace them, that we make them worse than they need to be. I mean, again, going back to the gym, imagine if every time the personal trainer handed you a weight, you sat there and you cried, complained, and moaned and talked about how awful this was. <laughs> you know, this is like, they'd just be sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, this is the worst person in the world I've ever had to train. Right, and that's a, that's how a lot of us are going through the course of the day. We're complaining and moaning about all these little stresses not going our way, and it's like, come on, really? So I'm talking more about you know that that sort of stuff on a daily basis. That's the micro. On the macro, um, I don't. Um, so th this, th I differ in opinion with you know with 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 others. There, there's a lot. Uh, let's take business success. So there's a lot um, there's a lot out there that talks about just improve one percent every day, and um, you know mathematically you get to the end of the year and you've had you know uh, thirty seven times you know whatever improvement. Sounds great. I get it. It's almost poetic. Um, but 
you know, what was your 1% improvement, you know, yesterday and then the day before? And does it really work that way? It hasn't for me, you know, I, you know, I, again, I get the idea for me, my improvements are very nonlinear. They come from looking for bold movements that I can be taking big jumps, things that I've never done before and doing that, you know, sprint towards whatever that thing is and getting that done, you know, making a, 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 you know, it's, it's more like a, you know, a ladder, right? A staircase rather than a nice smooth line. So where stress comes into play there is that it becomes your antenna. So the thing that scares you most about your business, the thing that um, you know you should be doing, but you're a bit uneasy about, or you think, oh, I need to be a little bit more prepared. I got to talk to few, you know, a few more people. I got to wait a few more months, maybe next quarter. Those are your signposts. Those are the directions in which you must step, step more boldly and, um, and leap. You know, there's a, a wonderful expression by a, um, the late American essayist. His name is John Burroughs. And he had a quote that I live by, leap and the net will appear. Hmm. And the net isn't just, you know, it's not like God coming in and saving you. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And when you leap that net, you end up weaving it together yourself, you know, in the form of money, resources, and people that you need to kind of catch you before you splat, hit the bottom, right? So, um, yeah, I think um, uh, the stress is, you know, on a micro level, in summary, uh, we let the small things get to us, whereas we shouldn't. Um, and we don't we don't look forward to the weights. You know, I need to strengthen this muscle, patience. I need to strengthen this muscle, affection. Where we don't look forward to those testing moments as we should to actually strengthen us. And then on a macro basis, well, we don't respect that... Um, you know, it requires big leaps, one big leap after the next in a less than 1% way, more like, how do I take it up 5% or 10% or 15%? Sometimes we go down 5% and, um, and, and not being afraid of those stresses and stepping into them. That's, that's what I mean. That's what, that's what makes life exciting. I guess it's a dialectical relationship. I think the 1% is what you say to yourself. Hey, come on, look at just the next 1%. Look forward, make the next one thing. Write that one email that will kick off the mastermind. But yeah. when your mastermind starts, you go from one to one to one to N. That is a, I don't know, a, if a multiple of five in your productivity, maybe of 10, because you are starting something that changes the the whole business model. When you start that route, you are on a higher level of productivity and of impact now that is exponential yeah. maybe for your trajectory as, as a business. So of course, you, your productivity is much higher than 1% in, in that day, really. You have kicked something off and then you will have some a couple months being on that plateau and bringing stability into the newborn mastermind and creating rules and uh, um, reinforcing boundaries, but then you will start your second mastermind, and then you are again in another um, trajectory, right? I guess it's it's coexisting. Yes. I'm so curious who you nominate for the strategy award after one word from our sponsors. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategysprints.com.
when everybody's zigging, this person is zagging. But from your perspective, they are doing the right thing. Who do you pick? I love, uh, and it can be anybody I want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just really just blown away by Elon Musk. I, I just think um, he thinks in such a big, grand way. And, um, and he's really the definition of nothing is impossible, right? Whatever he, whatever the mind can conceive, you know, he can certainly achieve. That's definitely the way he views life. And I just look at what he's doing at that, you know, billion dollar level versus what some of the other billionaires do. And, and, um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just quite amazing because he's he's doing so many things to actually advance you know human society things that were felt to be impossible or that the private person couldn't even consider dabbling or doing anything in. So um, he's a, a strategic genius, I think. Absolutely. If he just could shut up on Twitter about this Dogecoin <laughs> bullshit yeah. and let yeah. the word work. From yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I am excited about your vision, your business. Where is your business in three years? Well, um, I I started off um, I started off the business just doing one to one coaching with the founder CEOs. So um, you know, helping them scale their companies, their leadership themselves holistically, as I've described here. Um, writing the book was super exciting. Uh, that's now become the course. My, my vision is to continue bringing all of these ideas and concepts that I've come up with to more and more people. And I want to do that through um, things that allow me to do that in a more scalable way. So um, uh, courses and, and more group programs. Um, and then just, yeah, continue to, to uh, offer that to, to more and more people around the world. The feedback so far has been you know, fantastic, amazing really inspiring for me to hear. And um, if um, uh, if I can continue to do that, that would be great. Ultimately, my vision is simply to solve what I see is as the world's biggest problem. So um, Abraham Maslow, when he came up with his hierarchy of needs, and um, you know, for those that haven't, uh, aren't familiar, basically our path to fulfillment. <laughs> Wi-Fi, what else? Wi-Fi, yeah, Wi-Fi, Starbucks. <laughs> but um, uh, we have different levels of this pyramid that we move, move through, right? So at, at our first layers is we need to make sure uh, we have food, safety, you know, finance, then it's love and belonging. But our path to deepest fulfillment lies at the top of this pyramid, and it rests in realizing our full potential. So operating to our fullest capabilities which is ultimately what the whole Peak Performance Master's program is about. Now, Abraham Maslow and his research estimated that only 2% of people in the world operate to their fullest potential. That to me must mean that it's gotta be the world's biggest problem then. So I wanna get, I wanna give people the, the tools, the strategies, the techniques to break free from that 98%, join that 2% club operate to their fullest capabilities, not just professionally, but also personally, because I think if we can grow that pie slice, we can solve all the other world's problems more quickly, rapidly, or with less pain. So ultimately, my vision for the business is to get as many people as possible into that 2% club. I love it. 
And we had another guest, Gino Wickman, the, the author of Traction, mm. who said, he came up with similar numbers and he said, these 2%, these are the entrepreneurs. And, um, and this, these are basically the people moving things forward. And these are the people whose DNA is like that. They couldn't, they couldn't in a different way. That's how they are. Yeah. Three books that inspired you most. The Now Habit uh, by Neil Fiore, which is all about how to overcome procrastination. During the first half of my career, I was the world's number one procrastinator. So much so that when I bought Neil's book, The Now Habit, it sat on my bookshelf for a decade before I read it. <laughs> so, so that's like the ultimate in procrastination. Buy the book of procrastination, wait 10 years to read it. Um, so definitely the, 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 the Now Habit. Um, I would say The Power of Now by uh, Eckhart Tolle. That was a, a very um, impactful book on me. Um, and, um, and then more from a business side of things, um, I really, really enjoyed The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And I think that that you know, provides a great framework of both communication and quarterly rhythms and goal setting for teams and companies. The cool thing that I got from that book is that you have to go through conflict. I, I, I thought before, okay, let's avoid conflict. Let's go to, mm -hmm. to goals and to what we want to achieve together, etc. No, no, no. You go through conflict to create a trustful and open uh, communication. Otherwise, you, you don't have the basics. You don't have the foundations in a team. And this, this is yet just another manifestation of anti-fragility, whereby stepping into the stress is what builds the strength. Absolutely. And this is something that I'm learning right now in my 40s, that to, to have a good conversation, you need a little bit of friction. You need that uh, intentional uh, conflict. Yeah. which I think in comedy comes, comes best. Or when we play with kids, we are a little bit aggressive, but it's done with love. And that's what creates play or, or creates uh, the laughter. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I just started like smiling, almost like laughing to myself when I thought about if I were to, you know, like when, you, when I play with my boys, if I were to like act that way to my wife or like, you know, my friends, it would probably be considered a bit odd, like, you know, and, you know, running at them and then laughing. And But you're right. There's this weird, uh, very interesting mixture of like, uh, you know, uh, aggression and laughter and kind of play and kind of like, you know, hot and cold with children. I've never really thought about that before, but that is quite interesting. I yeah, with babies, because the intention is love, then it creates laughter. And and I am studying the comedians like Jerry Seinfeld, etc. His latest book, um, Is This Anything, is where he pitches his 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 bits to mm -hmm. his fellow comedians, to his friends. Hey, is this funny? Yeah. And then he, he pitches it. And so it's full of his bits. And every single one is he gets it, he's getting upset. And he's ranting at something, at somebody. And he yeah. goes, come on, look at this. <laughs> but because it comes from a place of love, the intention yeah. to make us laugh. It's just funny and we laugh. But if you do that at home, you come back home, you come in into the kitchen and say, 
nobody, yeah. nobody finds that uh, <laughs> nobody will laugh, right? So that's so, the that's the craft of the comedian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where can people uh, hang out with Eric Partey? Yes, um, just just head over to my website at Eric Eric with a C uh, Partaker .com. and um, if you like the sound of that Peak Performance Masters program, that's opening up again soon, so you can register your interest there. Um, you can grab a free digital copy of my book, The Three Alarms. You can buy it from Amazon if you want, but um, I offer a free digital copy of the book on my website, so you can grab a copy of the book. I got a blog there. You know, there's 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 lots of things, lots of ways that we can interact and stay in touch. Who should be my next guest? Your next guest. Well, um, I don't know. I, I I've I've had in my mind that uh, I'd be really interested in um, getting Obama uh, for some reason on my podcast. So. I think maybe you should go for him. Oh, that would be a great conversation. What, what is he doing right now? I don't know. It's one of the things I want to ask him. <laughs> we'll be question number one. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric, for being here, sharing yeah. your peak performance, uh, wisdom, your journey as world's uh, fittest person, best CEO, and uh, best uh, husband and father and your three alarms with all of our community. Thank you so much. Please Thank come. You. Thank you, appreciated it. Thank you very much. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 